Is it okay if today, if I, if I preach to you? You see, last week I, I, I had a combination of things. I, I would teach a little, then preach a little. Today I just want to preach. Can I just preach? I want you to remain on your feet for just a moment. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 22 through 26. We began a series last week called The Good Life. Today should actually be part two, but really we're going to continue in a conversation that we began last week. So today is really part 1B. Is it okay if we just pick up where we left off last week? Is that okay? I hope it's okay because that's what I brought today. I want to read with you and reacquaint you, if you will. Just hold your finger at Acts chapter 16. I want to reacquaint you to the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. You see, the apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in a Roman prison awaiting his execution. Very late in his ministry, towards the end of his life, he's looking back over his life in this retro, retrospective fashion. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, or at least the leaders at the church of Philippi, trying to articulate for them what the good life actually looks like. And in the process of articulating for them what the good life looks like, he begins to denounce things that everyone else thinks is the good life. In, and those things may be good. I'm not preaching on stuff, so listen to me. I need you to hear the heart of this message. But what Paul is telling us is sometimes the things that we think are really good in life are absolutely nothing when we compare them to Christ. So Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse, I'm going to, actually digress some and begin in verse 3, chapter 3, upstairs, if you have that, just be ready. Because I think verse 3 establishes for us the context of conversation. Verse 3 says this, for it is we, everybody say we, Paul is writing about the identity that we have in God, we, says we are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit. Let me pause there for a minute. We who serve God by His Spirit. That word serve in the Greek is a deep word. That word serve in the Greek can actually be translated into two words. It's the word serve, but it is also the word worship. That's deep because if you'll remember, Jesus said that God is searching for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul is saying our identity is in worshiping God through service here, through worship. Let me continue reading this. It says, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Let me again read the first part. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. We who serve God by His Spirit. We worship God, but we also serve God. Hold on a second. The depth of this verse means that there is a practical application to what we receive from God. We worship God with our voices, but we also serve God in worship with our lives. Oh, hold on a second. 
You see, Paul is trying to tell the people at Philippi, listen, you cannot get caught up in receiving from God. Receive, 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 receive. If your relationship about God or with God is all about you receiving from God, then you really don't have a relationship with God because you're not praising God. You're really asking God to serve you. Good Lord. You see, if we receive, 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 and that is our mentality when it comes to God, we receive, we receive, we receive, but yet we never practically apply in a practical way what we have received, then what we have received will do us no good. And then we wonder why what we received is not working in our lives. Well, the reason why it's not working in our lives is because we've made it all about us rather than all about him. You see, there's more to praising God than just lifting up our hands in the goodness of God inside of this worship center. That's not the only way we express worship unto God. We also express worship unto God by stretching out our hands outside of these four walls in order to serve God. I can get all up in your business today. Let me continue to read. Verses 4 and following says this, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence... Paul is about to make some very humble statements. (laughs) He says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in in the flesh, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I am faultless. These are the qualities that everyone during Paul's day thought were the qualities of the good life. He's got it all, someone would say. He's educated. He's, he came from the right place. He was born at the right time. He, he's got great friends. It's all good. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all good. But what Paul was saying is that, listen, all of that stuff really is nothing compared to knowing Christ. In fact, look what he says in verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, all of the stuff he just listed, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever were gains, I now consider a loss. The word for, for gains in the Greek means advantage. The word for loss in the Greek means disadvantage. So what he's saying, Tim, is what he thought would bring him an advantage was really a disadvantage compared to verse 8. Verse 8 is what he says is the real deal. Verse 8 is what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. We could just shut that down and go on home right here. But then I need to expand the conversation to verses 9 and 10. It says this, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. He said, yes, I want to know Christ. To know the power of his resurrection. You need to just circle that. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Circle that in your Bibles. Highlighted in your mobile device. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. High five your neighbor and say, I hear the sound. High five your neighbor. I hear the sound. And then you can be seated. I hear the sound. I hear the sound of you being seated. 
let me take you back using Philippians chapter 3 as the filter to the narrative in Acts chapter 16. If you'll remember when we were in Acts chapter 16 last week, it all started out good for Paul and Silas. I mean, it was the good life. It was the great life. Everything was going according to plan. It was all perfect. In fact, the Bible says that, that their ministry was flourishing. People were coming to Christ in droves and that the number was being added to daily in the church. Seems like everything that they placed their hands to found the favor and the blessings of God. But then the Holy Spirit one day led them to the place called Philippi. And when Paul and Silas reached Philippi, there is this fortune-telling girl who is following Paul and Silas around every day, shouting out as loud as she can, these men are men of the Most High God, trying to show you the way in which you must be saved. That was true. The problem with that truth is that they're in Philippi, which is a Roman province. And when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. And the Romans were not worshiping our God. They were worshiping Greek gods. Therefore, anyone else who brought another God into the equation was doing something illegal. So Paul got sick of this woman, and so he turned around and he cast this evil spirit out of her. Well, as a result, her owner got really angry because he could no longer profit from her fortune-telling abilities. So the crowd and the owner get together with the magistrate and they say, seize Paul and Silas, strip them down, beat them within an inch of their lives, throw them in prison, tell the jailer to watch them. Well, God shows up and shows out. The earthquake happens and all of a sudden everybody's freed and the jailer gets saved, his family gets saved. And then years later, when, when Paul is in prison in Rome, he writes a letter to the church at Philippi, which we read a few minutes ago. He writes to the leaders of the church. Well, one of the leaders who is receiving the letter is that jailer who was saved in Acts chapter 16. You see, what is beautiful about that is this. If it were not for the chains on Paul's life, there would not have been change to someone else's life. But I need to pick up and read really just one verse. Let me just not tell you a story. I'm going to read four verses, but I want to really pick apart one verse. In the book of Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 22, if you're there, say I'm there. Verse 22 starts out this way. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. That's pretty intense. What was good is now bad. What was the good life seems to be the bad life. Verse 23 says, After they had been severely flogged, meaning that they were beaten within an inch of their lives, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. The darkness of the day. It's not just dark because the sun is not shining. It's dark because they're doing good things for God, but yet bad things seem to be happening. And did I mention that the Holy Spirit led them on this journey? I need you to understand something. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were protected under the, raw, under the law of Rome. They could not be treated this way. Paul tells us that he's a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He highly educated and 
has a network of friends. He's a Roman citizen, but yet none of that stuff helped him at this moment. He's in prison, chained, beaten within an inch of his life. Verse 25 and 26 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I really want to pick apart two words in verse 25 for the rest of our time together. About midnight. About midnight. I'm not sure if any of you have found yourselves in a situation that could be characterized as about midnight. About midnight, Paul and Silas were singing praise to God. Doesn't make much sense. About midnight, it's the dawning of a new day. About midnight, the difficulties of yesterday are about to give way to the destinies of tomorrow. About midnight, the burdens of yesterday are about to give way to the blessings of God for tomorrow. About midnight, Paul and Silas are singing songs and praising God. About midnight, they're making a sound with their mouths in the most vile of places. About midnight, God is showing up to inhabit the praises of his people in the most vile of places, in the dungeon of life. About midnight, I feel like preaching in this place today. Luke captures for us in this story the fact that this praise service was not under their breath because he articulates the fact that other prisoners were listening. They were listening to the sound that Paul and Silas were making. About midnight, in the darkest of the darkest places, Paul and Silas were praising God. At about midnight, they let a sound out that collided with heaven. And when heaven heard the sound, heaven rained down in the goodness. About midnight, the chains that were on their bodies, the darkness of the tomb, the darkness of the situation, their despair, all of that sound gave way to a new sound. It was a sound that happened on the third day when the stone was rolled away and all of heaven and earth cried out that there is resurrection power. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You see, Paul heard a new sound. It was a sound. I heard the sound of peace. I heard the sound of joy. I hear the sound of hope. I hear the sound of forgiveness. I hear the sound of these chains falling off of my life. Look at your neighbor and say, I hear the sound. I'm not preaching to you. I'm shouting with you. The sound of the resurrection was imparted to creation. When all of heaven and earth cried out and Jesus walked out of that tomb, I hear the sound. See, praise will bring the promise of his presence, especially when you rise up in a place that should be holding you down. I don't know if you got that. I need to say it again. Praise will bring the promise of his presence. 
especially if you rise up in a place that should be holding you down. You see, I don't want to oversimplify or overstate this narrative by placing you in the story because I'm not sure that we can relate contextually or historically to Paul and Silas's situation. But I certainly believe under the sound of my voice this morning that there are people in your life, it's about midnight. It's about midnight. It's 11.59. And you're not in the prison that they were in, but you're in some prison. It's about midnight. And the question that I have for you this morning is this. What sound are you making? What sound is your life making? It's about Paul and Silas are singing praise to God. I need you to grab that. Here they are beaten within an inch of their lives in chains. But somehow they experienced the goodness of God when nothing else would help them. All of his accomplishments in life would not help him at this moment. What is the sound that your life is making? To me, he is so wonderful. To me, he is so wonderful. To me, he is so wonderful because he first, because he first. Because he first loved me. What sound are you making? What sound are you making? All of hell is breaking out in your life. To me, he is so wonderful. To me, he is so wonderful, even though I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. To me, he is so wonderful with these chains around my feet. Because I know, because I know he first he first, he first loved me. What sound, what sound is your life making? What sound is your life making at the midnight hour? Because others are listening. They're not listening to the voice. Your voice praising God only. They're listening to your life bring praise to God. So in other words, are you encouraging others when you need to be encouraged yourself? Are you blessing others when you wish someone would bless you? 
are you serving others when you really need someone to serve you? Is your life making the sound of generosity? Oh, Lord have mercy. Because the sound that our lives make determines what we receive. Paul said, I worship the Lord in service. And I boast of his greatness. You see, the only time that bragging is relevant and acceptable is when we're bragging on Jesus Christ. If you'll remember last week, Paul did this comparison thing. We read it already in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. I'm Hebrew amongst Hebrews. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. You know, we do this comparison thing. We compare our lives to the lives of others, and it seems like our lives are pretty good. We're living the good life until we begin to compare our lives to someone else's life. And when we compare our lives to their lives and their goodness, and all of a sudden we see that their goodness may be better than our goodness, and therefore our goodness is not really good. But something that I've noticed as a pastor is that we not only compare the good things in our lives to others, we also compare the bad things. Someone walks up to you and says, I, I, I got the worst cold. And you're like, oh, you do? I, I went to the doctor and he told me I had the worst cold he'd ever seen in the practice, in the history of his practice. And he told me if I wasn't careful, my foot was going to fall off. Yeah, I hadn't been able to go to work in days. And it's, you know how we are. We, we not only compare the good things in our lives to others, we also compare the bad things. Hello? So here is, is Paul. He's saying, listen, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you need to stop comparing whatever is happening in your life to someone else's life because really it all pales in comparison to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Because when you find yourself in the prison of your life, you'll understand in that prison that none of that stuff could help you anyway, but his love can sustain you. It's the compare and the receive thing. Look at your neighbor and say, compare and receive. You see, we're always comparing our lives to someone else and what we perceive that they have and what they've received, we want to receive in our own lives. But when you compare your life to someone else's, what you're trying to do is line up the sound in your life to the sound of someone else's life. But the Bible does not say to line up your life to the sound of someone else's life. The Bible says to line up your life to the sound of Christ. And when you line up your life to the sound of Christ, you will tap into a goodness that will never run dry. But some of you are wrapped up in that compare thing. And here's the deal. You, you're, it's 11.59 in your life. What sound is your life making? At 11.59, some of you are not making a sound. You're making a noise. It's the noise of gossip. Using the auspices of prayer. Sister, let me tell you something. I, I want you to help me pray for such and such. And in order for you to be able to know how to pray for such and such, I got to tell you what's going on in such and such's life. That makes me sick. Or maybe it's, 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 it's the noise of negativity. 
the noise of negativity rings out and you're like, I don't like this preacher. He preaches way too long. The music's way too loud. Don't anyone say amen. My husband mistreating me makes me sick. I'll never be. My job stinks. Amen. This morning, I'm just going to be transparent with you. I wish the praise team wouldn't have left yet so they could hear this. But this morning, I had a, a spirit of negativity over me. Something happened in the first service. I was like, what's wrong with you? We had a meeting in the green room. I was like, what's wrong with you? You see, sometimes you can be doing the right thing, but do it in the wrong way. Hello. Then there's, you know, the noise of criticism. <laughs> My husband makes me sick sounds that we make and we expect to receive from heaven but yet we're not making the sound that heaven makes we're making a noise that the world wants us to make but when we begin to allow our sound to, to be in rhythm and to resonate with the sound of heaven all of heaven will open up and the goodness of heaven will fall out on your lives. But when you compare your life to the sound of someone else's life, you will not receive. But if you'll compare your life and the sound of your life to the sound of Christ, you will always receive everything that he's declared over your life. Some of you, some of you, listen, are, are waiting on God to fall down in your prison when God is waiting on you to rise up. Some of you are waiting on God to fall down with his goodness in the midst of your pain, but God is waiting on you to rise up in your pain and to make a noise, not, not a noise that would cause this world to listen, but to make a sound that would cause heaven to listen. Paul and Silas made a sound. They were singing praise. Worship is not an emotional stimulant. It is a spiritual discipline that brings down heaven into your environment. I hear a sound, the sound of all good things come from above. I hear the sound of mercy. I hear the sound of grace that is unending. Come on, somebody. Help me make a sound. I hear the sound of his love. I hear the sound of his forgiveness. I hear the sound of he's an ever-present help in a time of need. Somebody make a sound. problem is I wonder how often the sound that we're making with our lives is in competition with the sound of heaven. Good God Almighty. That'll preach. So I'm going to preach it. I think about that question. Let me ask you it again so that it'll resonate in your spirit. How often is the sound that your life is making in competition with the sound of heaven? It's been happening since the beginning of man. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was without form. And then the very first sound happened from heaven when God said, let there be light. And there was light. God harnessed energy 
stars in the sky. Did not call for the greatest scientist in heaven with drop cords and an energy conductor. But rather something that was non-existent through the spoken word became evident. But he didn't stop there. He continued to create and he said it is good. And then he got to Adam and Eve and he wanted Adam and Eve to worship him so that their lives sounded in unison with the sound of heaven. He wanted Adam and Eve to see that the good life comes through him. He wanted Adam and Eve to worship him. So he said to Adam and Eve, he said, you can have everything that you see save one thing. You cannot have that tree in the middle of the garden. He did not do that in order to restrict them. He gave them that command because it was best for them. However, Adam and Eve had a different sound that they were operating under. It's called the sound of disobedience. If you'll remember, the serpent slithered his way up. He said, if you'll eat of this tree, you'll be like God. You'll make your own sound. You'll march to your own beat. But Adam and Eve quickly found out that God was not looking for people who would praise themselves, but rather who would praise Him. You see, you cannot come into church on Sunday and make one sound, but Monday through Saturday make another. I hear the sound. So Paul and Silas were praising God with the sound of their voices. And when they lifted up their voices and the resonation, if you will, of that sound began to reverberate through all of heaven. It collided with the goodness of God. I cannot help but to be reminded of Elijah who was praying in the, in the depths and the darkness and the drought of his life for God to send rain. And he says, I hear the sound of rain before it ever started raining. He said, I hear the sound of rain. I think about Joshua when God told him, you will not fight Jericho under traditional ways but rather you will march around the city of Jericho and when the sound of your voice reaches heaven the walls of Jericho will fall down I think about Psalm chapter 34 when the psalmist writes that God heard the sound of my voice and he came running to my aid I think about David who said I cried out and God heard me I think about Paul and Silas who were singing songs and praising God in the midst of ugliness what I'm trying to say is when the sound of your your life is in congruency with heaven, God responds. And then there was something else that was happening in that prison cell, the book of Acts, that the enemy is so unwise to. The enemy is so stupid that he placed Paul and Silas in the same prison cell. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he shall be. So there was unison in praise. Let me try something with you. I'm going to break you down into three groups. Because you're already broken down into three groups. And I want you to help me. Help me. Group one. Don't. You gotta sing that with me, okay? Don't. Mm -mm. You gotta sing it with me. Don't. Ray. This is the
the middle section. You're singing Ray, not Doe. Doe. Ray. A little louder, Ray. Me, if that's all I know, me. Finding it in there somewhere. The first crowd had me so thrown off, man. They were like, me. Do, re, me. Okay, you got it? Do, re, me. You ready? A little louder. Come on. Y'all help that lady over there. All of a sudden, we're just kind of discombobulated. But let's try it again the way it's supposed to sound. Do, Really loud. I hope somebody captured that on live feed. (laughs) Listen, the illustration that I'm trying to make for you is that when we put our sounds together, we make a song. And the sound of unity where two or three are gathered together causes God to inhabit the praises of his people. And when that happens, the goodness of God falls out of heaven and around us. You see, it may not necessarily fix the problem in your life at that moment, but it will certainly fix your perspective on the problem. Do you hear me? I got to shift gears or I'm not going to get done. You see, everything that I've said to you up until this moment, if you've been paying close attention, you see and understand that it is in direct opposition or contradiction to what the world says about identity. You see, the world says your identity is established by what you have, what you have accomplished, the good stuff that seems to be happening in your life, the stuff that you can put in the good column. That's how the world says your identity happens. It's by what you possess. But God says your identity is not established by what you possess, but rather by who possesses you. The world says that you have the good life when everything, Richard, seems to be going good. But everything was not going good for Paul and Silas. And somehow Paul and Silas know Christ so well that even in the midst of ugliness, they saw the goodness and the beauty of God. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You see, the good life does not mean that everything is happening good in your life. The good life means that you recognize the goodness of God in your bad circumstances. The good life does not come when you forge your own way and establish your own beat. The good life happens when you submit yourself to God and become obedient and you begin to live under his purpose for your life. Hold on a second. Paul did not lose his identity when he found himself in prison, even though he was Hebrew amongst Hebrews, he was zealous for the law. He was faultless when it came to the Pharisaical laws. He was born on the right side of the tracks. He had accomplished all kinds of stuff. That stuff did not help him when he found himself down and out, but rather his surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ enabled him to rise up in the midst of his ugly circumstances and praise God with everything that was within him. Are you hearing me? He made a sound that heaven recognized and God rained down in his life in a way that only God could. You see, what you need to understand is this, is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
They were not only in unison with one another, Paul and Silas, but they were in unison with God's word because they would not allow the sound of their lives to compete with the sound of God's word. You know how some of us were like, oh God, this is horrible. I can't believe, Paul, this happened to us. All we were doing was good. She makes me sick. I can't stand to hear this anymore. I'm so tired of her. I'm so tired of him. My job stinks. My car broke down this morning. You know how we are. But Paul, out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth makes a sound. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Mm. Out of the abundance of his heart. And the circumstance that was so ugly in his life. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. cell, a revival broke out. Something that I need you to understand is that your knowledge of God's word in the midst of your prison will prompt your heart to praise. I don't know if you're catching this. I hope you've been seeing it. But here's Paul and Silas praising God in the midst of hardship. Out of the abundance of their hearts, they're praising God. Out of the abundance of their hearts, I hear a sound. I hear a sound. I I hear the sound. I want to know the power of the resurrection, Silas. I hear a sound. You see, the same way God showed up for for the people against Joshua, against Jericho, for the people of Israel, against that fortified city, I hear a sound. These chains mean nothing. I hear the sound of resurrection. I hear the sound of breakthrough. I hear the sound of forgiveness. I hear the sound. Somebody help me make a sound. Glorify God with the sound of your voice. Get up on your feet and give him crazy praise. I hear the sound of salvation. I hear the sound of a second. Some of you, the sound of heaven is not resonating in your mouth, in your life. Because you've allowed the noise of life to drown it out. Three things that I wish I had the time to articulate. If you look at this story of Paul and Silas, there's three things that happen. Really, there were two things that they did that brought about the result. Number one, you need to understand that we must participate in the goodness of God. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I worship God in the spirit of souls. Paul is in jail in Philippi. He's participating in the goodness of God 
because he also knows that there are people who are listening to the sound that he's making. And as a result, those people are saved. So we participate in the goodness of God, but we also anticipate the grace of God. I think we anticipate so many things in life, but we forget to anticipate the word of life. And when you participate in his goodness and you anticipate his grace, you will receive his power.